you're a guest or a visitor here tonight, my name is Jason. I'm the campus pastor here. And one of the things we do as a church, if you're kind of first time to church, is we do these things called sermon series. And so what sermon series are is an opportunity for us as a church to either grab a topic or an idea like marriage or um, conflict or, um, you know, relationship with God or grab a book of the Bible and work through it. And so we spend a number of weeks going through either a topic or a book. And right now as a church, we are working through a book in the Bible. And if you're new to the Bible, there's actually 66 books in the Bible, and there's different kinds of literature found in the scriptures. And some things are a little bit easy to wrap your head and heart around, and some of them are a little bit harder. And um, we as a church are working through the book of Romans. And Romans... If you're new to the Bible, first time, maybe even to church, and you're like, oh, I kind of want to read the Bible, um, I would recommend you do not read the book of Romans first. <laughs> don't do it. Because Romans is, is a little bit more, now don't be totally intimidated, you never read it, but Romans is a book that is a little bit more complex, and what makes it complex is this. You have to understand other aspects of the Bible like the book of Genesis, for instance, and some of the first five books of the Bible in particular, in order to properly understand what on earth is happening in the book of Romans. And you'll discover the scripture they're going to read tonight, you're like, how on earth does Romans chapter 4 connect with my life? You're gonna, when I read the scripture that we're about to read, you're going to ask yourself that question. And so my job as a preacher is to take a book that was written 2,000 years ago plus, and build a bridge from the scripture to your life. That's my job as a preacher. That's kind of what I have to do. And sometimes that bridge is small. When I go to a passage of scripture, like Jesus said, feed the hungry. All right. That's, that, that's not, you know, that's pretty straightforward. Or like love your neighbor. That one's a little easier for me. That's like a, a smaller bridge. But sometimes you get a chapter of scripture like Romans 4. And the bridge is like the Confederation Bridge. <laughs> to try to build a bridge from the scripture to you in 2022 here in Barrington, it takes some work. And so if you see me up here floundering and you're the prayer type, just say, Lord, help them. And would you do me a favor here tonight? Would you just track with me? Because I promise you there is awesome news at the end. We're going to have to go on. We're going to have to do some work tonight. Are you ready to do some work tonight? Yeah. Hey, you guys cheer louder for Alex. That's not fair. <laughs> so we got to do some work here tonight. So just, just track with me because there is really good stuff here. You know, Paul wrote the book of Romans, and Paul was both like a spiritual guy, but in Jewish culture, they married like the legal system and spirituality together. So Paul was like a spiritual lawyer. And so as you read Romans chapter 2, 3, and 4, it sounds like Paul's actually in court using reason and, and kind of unpacking this argument line by line, using questions, answering himself, and he's kind of laying out a very logical um, argument for how we are actually made right with God. And he's trying to convince the Jewish people that you are not made right with God through what? Good works. 
you're actually made right with God through faith. Now, if Paul spends three chapters trying to convince them, like, that's a major amount of scripture that Paul uses to try to persuade the Jewish people to help them to understand something clearly. And so that's what we see happening here in this passage of scripture. And we know that, as we've kind of talked about the last few weeks, what was going on in Rome at the time as Paul was writing this letter? Well, we know that it was likely Jewish Christians that started the church in Rome, and the church was very Jewish, likely to start off. And then non-Jewish people, people like you and I called Gentiles, became Christians. But after, you know, that church was established, the emperor said, all right, all the Jewish people in Rome, you have to leave. So all the Jewish people that were from the church in Rome, guess what they had to do? They had to leave. And the church became very non-Jewish, became Gentile. And so imagine this, and I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it again so we can kind of help understand. So imagine you're a Jew. You were maybe the lead pastor. You were the worship leader. You were the head trustee. You were on the connection teams. You were the blue shirt people. And all of a sudden, the emperor's like, all right, all you blue shirt people that are Jews, you got to go for five years. And guess what happened to your blue shirt job where you're at the connection table, where you're greeting someone, or you're up here being the worship leader? Guess what happened to your job? You've been replaced. It's like my grade 10 math teacher said to me all the time, you know, Jason, you can be replaced. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. They were all replaced. And guess what happens five years later when they come back? The pastor, the campus pastor, and the worship leader, and the head trustee, and all the blue shirt people that were Jews, they came back and they're like, what on earth have you done to my church? You painted colors I do not like. You put light fixtures up I don't care for. You don't sing the songs we used to sing. And I don't like the way you preach. What is going on? We are God's holy people, the Jews. You don't obey any of the laws or commandments that we've obeyed since we were little. How is it that you have this favor and grace? Aren't we the favorite ones of God? And Paul's like, no. And the first service was awesome because I said that and a kid in the back started crying. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And so the Jews are like this five-year-old kid and says, it's not fair. Ah! <laughs> so that's what was happening here in this passage of scripture. And so Paul is like, you guys got to just understand. It is impossible to maintain a right relationship, to have a right relationship with God or to maintain it for that matter. It's impossible to have a right relationship with God through following all the law. And it's impossible because every single one of you and I were born with a sinful nature. Every single one of us have broken God's law. And if we want to maintain a right relationship with God, we have to obey the whole entire law. And guess what? We don't have the inner resources in order to do that. So Paul spends three chapters why does he spend three chapters? Well, just imagine if you spent 40 years of your life being formed that the right way you relate with God, every single day you were taught, this is how we write relationship with God. And Paul's like, actually, everything you've learned about that is wrong. 
And Paul's like, I feel your pain, bro, because I gave my whole life to actually being one of those teachers. And Jesus came and knocked me off my high horse and said I was wrong. I know what you're thinking. I know because I was a Jew of the strictest sect. And I've learned that it's all actually garbage in comparing to the knowledge of knowing Christ. So Paul is trying to convince these people. And he hauls out the trump card for the Jewish people. I love playing cards. Any card players out there? It's okay. You don't have to like be shy about it. It's not a sin to play cards. I love playing the game of whist. And if there's any whist people out there, if you ever want to play a game of cards, just give me a call. I seriously am slightly obsessed. Um, and I love it when I get, although I don't like playing with my dad because he gives me, gives me a butt whooping like he did last weekend. But I like when I get dealt a hand and I get like high trump cards. Like, 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 like king, queen, jack of hearts. But I really love it when I have aces of trump. Because nothing beats the ace of trump. And so what Paul does here in Romans chapter 4, he hauls out the trump card for the Jewish people. And he says, Abraham. Now, to us, Abraham, especially if we're new to the Bible, new to the church, like, Abraham, who's that? Maybe you were in Sunday school as a kid and you learned the song Father Abraham. You know that, that kind of annoying song that kind of creeps like non-Christians out? <laughs> Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you. You know that song, right? I'll, I'll, I know you guys are like, it's painful. I'm sorry. I apologize. No, no. <laughs> We're stopping. But that song, but to someone that's like never read the Bible or church, they're like, Abraham, who on earth is that? But Paul brings up Abraham because to Abraham, to, to the Jews, Abraham was the goat. I'm not talking about, like, a goat. I'm talking about, like, the greatest of all time. Like, the Michael Jordan of basketball. Call him the goat. Tom Brady of football. Wayne Gretzky of hockey. When, when, when Paul talks about Abraham, Abraham was the goat for the Jewish people. He was the father of faith. He was the example. He was the person in whom the whole nation of Israel came. They look to him as the father of faith. Matter of fact, Jesus in John chapter 8 says something that really ruffles their feathers. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up rocks to stone him. Because they said, who do you think you are? You are greater than our father Abraham? So to a Abraham was like the goat for the Jewish people. And so Paul is trying to explain to the Jewish people that your father of faith, whom you based your whole, where you come from, he was not made right with God through the law, through obeying all these commandments, through good works. Abraham was declared righteous by what? Faith. Abraham believed God, and it was credit to him for righteousness. So what Paul is saying in this last argument here in Romans chapter 4, before he talks about being right with God, is like, it's like we are not made right by our good works. We are made right with God through faith. And God credits to us righteousness. That's what Paul is saying here. And he's trying to persuade them to understand this. So we have our Bible reading from Romans chapter 4, verse 1 to 12. And this is what Paul says. Now just track with me here. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? 
If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. This is from Psalm, 20, Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness may be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham before he was circumcised. I don't think I've ever said circumcised so many times in my life. <laughs> so what's your reaction other than being like, hmm, when you read that passage of scripture? It got really hot in here all of a sudden, right? What's your reaction when you read something like that? It's probably like mine is. How does that connect to my world in 2022 in Barrington? Right? Like, what on earth is going on here in this passage? What is this all about? How does this have any connection with my life? And why on earth are we talking about circumcision in the Bible? But for a, the Jewish people that were hearing this argument from Paul, circumcision meant something. Circumcision was actually the sign and symbol of a covenant agreement with God's people and God. It was the command God gave. It was a sign that I'm signing off on obeying the law. All the law that God gave through Moses. I'm signing off of that, and this is the proof that I'm actually committing to this covenant. And so what Paul was trying to do here in Romans chapter 4, which is really hard for us to understand, Paul was saying, God declared Abraham righteous before he actually did that sign and symbol of obeying all the law and covenant. God declared Abraham righteous before he actually, before the, the law was instituted. So he's saying it's not based on obeying the law, it's based on faith. That's what Paul was trying to communicate to this audience. Because Abraham, if you read in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham to leave his nation and to go to a land that God would show him. And the Bible teaches us that the Lord said to Abraham, I will take you to this nation and I will bless you and I'll make you into blessing. And those that bless you, I will bless. And those that curse you, I will curse. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And what's amazing about Abraham is through Abraham's seed, through his lineage, guess who came? Jesus is a direct descendant of Abraham. And guess who all the nations of the earth have been blessed through? Jesus. So God actually fulfilled his promise to Abraham in the person of Jesus. Because all the nations have been blessed through Jesus. Amen? Amen. And they keep getting blessed, and they'll keep getting blessed through Jesus. Here's the deal. God keeps his promises. You can take them to the bank. That's the kind of God that he is. You know, 
I was talking to my best friend, Nathan, this weekend on Saturday, and I said, yep. I said, he's a pastor in Thunder Bay. I said, yep, I got to preach on Romans 4. Pray for me, man. And he said this one-liner that I thought was really helpful because I, I get this, and I hope that this makes sense to you. This is what Paul was trying to say in Romans 4 in kind of like layman's terms. Abraham had a relationship with God before there were any rules about a relationship with God. Let me say that one more time. I want you to get that. Abraham had a relationship with God before there were any rules about a relationship with God. He was made right in God's sight. The Bible actually says that Abraham was the friend of God. Hear the relationship language? It's not about ritual. It's not about routine. It's not about your good works. God invites us into an intimate, personal relationship with him. We can know God. And he can know us. That's what God is inviting us into. And laws and rules and good works will never get us to that relationship. There's only one thing that gets us into this relationship, gets this right relationship with God. It's Jesus. The Jewish understanding is that good works gets us there. And our understanding here in 2022 is a little bit different. At least the Jewish people had faith in God, and they were trying in their own effort to be right with God. And in 2022, you know who we put faith in? We put faith in ourselves. We put faith, we just say, like, you know, you got to have faith, right? Well, faith in what? If it's in us, like, the only thing that's going to produce if we have faith in ourselves is what I can do as a limited human being. And to be honest, I'm actually not that interested in that. Because I know what I can produce, and it ain't that much. And, and in our culture here in 2022, we declare ourselves righteous And what's right for you is right for you. And what's right for me is right for me. There's no absolute righteousness. It's just whatever you think is right is right. And whatever I think is right is right. And that gets celebrated. Like, you know, and, you know, I'm all for celebration. We we have this thing in our culture today where we celebrate what humans can do in and of themselves. And here's the thing that humans cannot do. As much as we celebrate humanism in our culture here today, humanism and human effort and what humans can produce, they can never produce a right relationship with God. They just can't do it. And the other thing they can't produce, you see, not only does God want to give us a right relationship, but we have no idea the blessing that God wants to pour to us and through us once we get this relationship right. Humans cannot produce the blessings that God wants to blow our minds with through what happens when we get this relationship right. No human effort can produce that. And actually, that's God's strategy to bless and impact and change the world. It's to actually call us all back in alignment with him so we can be aligned with God so we can pour his blessing through us to the world. But in order to do that, in order to get that relationship right, we actually have to believe. The Bible says, In Romans chapter 4, verse 24 and 25, it says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. 
Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Do you believe that Jesus was delivered over to death for your sins? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he was raised to life? Why? Why, why was he delivered over to death and why did he rise? What does this Bible verse tell us? It was for what? Our justification. Jesus was delivered over to death and raised to life. Why? To make us right with God. That's why. Some, a lot of people ask the question, why did Jesus die on the cross? It's right there. Jesus, God so loved you that he gave his only son to be the sacrifice for your sins. And he rose again from the dead so you could get this relationship right. And not just get the relationship right, but so that God could bless you beyond what you can imagine through this relationship. Again, God wants deeply to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. And he wants to pour his blessing into you beyond what you can even think or imagine. Think about this for a second. How do you think God wants to bless you through a relationship with him? What blessings does God want to give you through this relationship? Because as I read the Bible, I think about the blessing that God gives us, and it's crazy. The moment you accept Jesus, God forgives you for everything you've ever done wrong. It's all gone. The moment you accept Jesus, God adopts you. He becomes your father. The moment you accept Jesus, and it's a hard one for us to believe, you know that God actually says you are righteous, you are holy, you are blameless in my sight. The moment you accept Jesus and put your faith in this Jesus that I'm talking about here today, God puts his presence and his power inside of you. He pours his love into your heart. He gives you peace. He gives you purpose. He gives you meaning. And that's just scratching the surface of what happens when we get right with God. That's what God is offering to every single person who would believe. So do you believe that Jesus has done all this for you to get you right with God? And maybe you've been to Coastal here for the first time. You've been here dozens of times. The good news that I will never get tired of saying over and over and over again is that God has made a way for us to have a relationship with him, and it's through Jesus Christ we can have that. So do you believe? Have you invited Christ to come in to your life? And maybe you're one of those people that you have a hard time believing that you're righteous because you look at your track record, you look at maybe three hours ago, and you're like, that wasn't very righteous there, Jay. That wasn't good. Someone pulled in front of you in the Tim Hortons drive-thru, and you're like, <laughs> You see, sometimes, like, we get made right with God through believing in Jesus, not on good works. But sometimes as people that are Christians now, we think that we maintain our right relationship with God through our good works. So if we feel guilty or maybe we're some stuff in our life that we shouldn't have done or we sinned and we missed the mark, we're like, I know what I'll do. I'll get good with God. I'll throw a couple extra dollars in the offering this, year, this week. Or, you know, I know there's areas in my life that I'm not doing so great and I know about it, probably I shouldn't, so I'll serve on the connection team. That'll get me, like, right with God, right? 
God will be happy with me then. Or, you know, I know there's some areas of my life that I shouldn't be doing, so I'm going to go to Bible study. I'm going to actually read the Bible for three hours. That'll really help. But you're actually trusting in your works again. Do you see it? You're trusting in your works to get you right with God. You get right with God initially through faith in Jesus alone, and you maintain a right relationship with God through what? Faith in Jesus alone. So when you miss the mark and you blow it, you fall short, you don't listen to God, and you disobey him in areas of your life, what do you do? You come back to Jesus. You say, Father, please forgive me. I've missed the mark, and I ask that you would cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And the good news is, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We go back to the cross, back to the work that he's done for us. And what's amazing is that God declares us righteous, even when we think that we're not. And who are we to argue with God? Right? Who are we to argue with God? God says you are holy. You are blameless. You are my beloved child. I have made you holy and blameless, and it's not based on your good works. It's based on the good works of my son, and he absolutely crushed it for you because he loved you. And I don't know if you're here tonight, if you've never made the decision to invite Christ to come into your life, Jesus took your sin upon himself, and he did it to wipe your slate totally clean. That's why, that's why Paul quotes Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. When you come to faith in Jesus, everything you've ever done wrong is totally pardoned. God says your sins are covered. They're gone. I've taken them away. You don't have to keep paying for it over and over and over again. I literally took my sin upon, your sin upon myself, and I broke its power. So that thing you did in the past, those things, those regrets that you carry every single day, I have taken them. And I declare to you, if you believe in me, you are forgiven. You are righteous now. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Because I have worried about it on your behalf. I have taken your sin. And I have broken its power. And now you are made right with me if you'll simply believe that I did this for you. Do you believe tonight? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sin? That he broke sin's power in your life. And I just say to you here in this place tonight, I think there's some of you in this room that Satan has been accusing you of stuff that you've confessed over and over and over again to God. And I would just declare to you that if you've confessed your sin to God and you've asked God to forgive you, you are forgiven. And you need to tell the enemy to stop whispering lies and accusing you of something that Jesus already conquered. You're free. Stop living in regret when Jesus broke the power of regret. He sees you. Oh, man. I just get this picture 
of how God sees you. If you believe in Jesus, God sees you as holy, as blameless, as righteous, as his very child. And you know what? We're a child of God when we walk in a manner pleasing of God. And we're a child of God when we don't listen and we miss the mark. His grace is enough. And what we need to start doing is actually believing what God says about us instead of what the world and what the enemy says about us. Because you're always going to have that voice accusing you that you're not. But I know a voice that's stronger than them all. And he says, you're righteous. I love you, and I have a plan for your life. I invite you tonight to believe what God declares. And if you believe tonight in Jesus, he says, you are righteous, and I love you. Will you stand to your feet?